0: Things like that. Uh, At this moment, it is. uh, I met Matt just here a little bit ago, and uh, found out that we had uh, uh, quite a few acquaintances uh, together. And uh, it's uh, good to have him here today, and to kind of make a new buddy here now. And so, I want you to give your full attention as our missionary uh, to the West Indies. Is that right? Going to the West Indies? Uh, uh, Please make welcome Matt Johnson. Wow, thank you. All right, here's some more of that today. <laughs> That's great. I've never been welcomed like that before. <laughs> I can't wait till my kid's here that I got a woohoo. <laughs> so good morning. It's good to be worshiping with you this morning and to be celebrating God's goodness, his faithfulness and just giving thanks together. It's been good to worship with you this morning so far. I am Matt Johnson and um, privileged to be here and share just a little bit about our ministry and then to share God's word. Um, it's been great to get to know Pastor Jeremy. Um, I think I've known him now for 17 years. He was at my ordination. He did not ask any difficult questions, which helped our friendship quite a bit. And, uh, and then I've known him at Hadley and at North Branch, and, and now it's been great to get to know him a little bit. As he serves you here, and uh, and then the connections that I have in the area to it. My uh, my grandfather was Arvold Devaney, and uh, his mom owned the uh, farm on the other side of the highway where they'd have the vegetable stand. And my grandpa would be the guy that did the woodworking. And they every summer they would open up to uh, to sell things and spend a lot of time wandering the woods over there on. Uh, that now I think is a Harley Davidson thing or, or shop or something, but and uh, my dad pastored over in North Branch when I was growing up, and that's uh, we have a little connection with Anna and in the past too. And so it's good to be back here in this area and uh, uh, to be with you. So um, technology, we had a little problem with remote, so I'm going to be giving. It's Frank, right, Randy. My mind has problems, too. Um, the old-fashioned old, old fashioned PowerPoint, if it works every once in a while. Hopefully that's not a distracting to you or distraction to you. But we are the Johnson family, and uh, I'm Matt. My wife's name is Jennifer. We've been married almost 18 years now, and God's blessed us with five children. Uh, our oldest is 17 years old, and... Uh, uh, we have four biological sons all two years apart, and then God blessed us through adoption. Our little girl, you wouldn't know, know that she's not biologically ours because she just looks like she fits, and she does. God picked her out specially for us, and we adopted her when she was two, and her name is Charlotte. Charlotte. And uh, we're very thankful for God, how God has led us, and we are serving in Latin America and the West Indies. Now, I want you to imagine this morning with me that you're a pastor in a developing country. You're deeply committed to the care of your congregation and to the advancement of the gospel, not only in your community but around the world, but you're struggling. You're struggling because you've received no formal theological education, your resources are extremely limited. Your library consists of perhaps a Bible and a commentary. Now, what if someone would come alongside you to encourage, to equip, and to empower you? What if you could be connected to the vast skill, resources, and manpower of churches in the United States who are passionate about reaching the world with the gospel? What kind of impact would that have on you and your ministry? You see, throughout the developing world, Christianity is spreading at a rapid rate. Local churches are being planted and started. And we believe those local churches are best served by national pastors, pastors who know the language, who know the culture, who have access and connections that you and I will never have, simply because they were born there. And we believe the local church overseas is best served by men like this. But oftentimes those men are struggling due to a lack of training and a lack of resources. And that is where our ministry begins. We are serving with an organization called GAP, Global Access Partnerships, which is a branch of ABWE, a Baptist organization, Association of Baptists for World Evangelism. The vision of GAP is to see a growing network of churches and ministries across the globe who will commit their resources and efforts to advance the gospel in partnership together. The key word there is network and partner. We wanna network and partner, we wanna develop networks, strategic networks and partnerships for the sake of the gospel. We are excited to be a part of a group of missionaries. We have Gap missionaries serving all over the world, but we are a part of a group of Gap missionaries who are serving in Latin America and the West Indies. Our desire is to come alongside and facilitate the ministries of national believers. We desire to come alongside them and to help them to be better equipped, not only to serve in their local church and their community, but also to fulfill the Great Commission around the globe. We are endeavoring to stand in the gap, to build a bridge, a partnership that by connecting churches, churches like yours and churches like ours where I'm at in Fowlerville, Michigan, to these pastors and their churches in Latin America and the West Indies. When that partnership is established, the local church here is invigorated as it helps meet an important need for the global advancement of the gospel, but the local church overseas in Latin America and the West Indies is strengthened and made healthy as it gets the training, the resources, the encouragement that it needs. And these are the kinds of partnerships that we believe will result in a multiplication of churches, leaders, and mission movements all for the glory of God. So that is a little bit about our ministry. Our ministry involves four main things, training, resourcing, connecting, and mobilizing. I'll just go through some of these with you this morning real quickly. Um, It involves training, the first one there, encouraging and equipping national pastors through theological training, leadership development, and personal discipleship. Did you know that an estimated 85% of the 2.2 million evangelical churches worldwide are led by pastors with insufficient training? And that just breaks my heart, because I know that at any given day, Pastor Jeremy and and Pastor Nathan, can we can get in our car, and within an hour, hour and a half, two hours max, we can be at a seminary, we can be at a Bible institute, a Bible college, and get equipped for ministry. We can attend a seminar, we can go to a weekender where we can be equipped and challenged for ministry, but not so for many of our national brothers and sisters overseas. So we want to come alongside and give them theological training. The next thing we want to do is provide resources, provide national pastors with study and teaching materials, as well as to help fund building projects and emergency relief outreach. Did you know that the average library of a pastor in a developing country, in a third world country, consists of a Bible and one commentary? And once again, that just breaks my heart because you've been in, if you've been in Pastor Jeremy's office, he has bookshelves full of books. I have three walls of books and books stacked on the floor because I can't fit all the books on my shelves. We were training some pastors in Haiti. Uh, Forty pastors came to the first training session and uh, we were meeting in a small room. Everyone is sitting at their own table and getting ready to start for the first time training pastors in Haiti. We asked them to turn in their Bibles to Acts chapter 1 and all of a sudden the room just erupted in commotion. Guys were getting up out of their seat, running around to different tables. We came to find out that many of these 40 pastors were pastoring the churches without their own copy of the scripture. Imagine God's call to you is to feed and lead God's people through God's word. And you can't do it because you don't have your own copy. And so we came back, told our churches, listen, this is what's going on in Haiti. These pastors need their own Bible. We raised up Bibles to take back to them and study materials third aspect of our ministry involves connecting we want to build ministry partnerships by presenting the needs of churches in latin america and the west indies to churches in the united states we want to let you know about these pastors in haiti or these pastors in cuba that we're working with and their needs they have and we want to connect you to them so you can help so you can come alongside and encourage and equip them in the ministry and we want to mobilize that's the last thing that our ministry is involved we want to lead short-term mission trips enabling believers from churches in the U.S. to reach out globally by using their gifts and abilities that God has given them. We want to explain and help challenge each local church member, each person in the pew, by telling them that God has given them a gift, God has given them an ability, God has given them some type of education, some type of trade, some type of career that God can utilize for the sake of the gospel. And we want to mobilize the local church here to get involved with our partners in Latin America and the West Indies. So we would love to share more about our ministry with you. I'm looking forward to the hill climber. Although I think the hill topper would be the much better term. I mean, I'd love to be at the top of the hill. But the hill climber class, I'll be there to share a little bit more about our ministry if, uh, if they will let me. And, uh, and I'll be at the table in the back. We have prayer cards back there um brochures I have also some reports from some of the partners that we're working with in Guyana in Cuba in Haiti um, some of those things are back there you can pick up um, and then we also have a response card we'd love to have you fill out if you'd like to be on our mailing list uh, put your information on there and there's a basket you can just drop that in the basket and uh, we can keep you up to date on what God is doing in our ministry okay and then I'll be back there um, Actually, we we're supposed to forward through a bunch of slides. Um, <laughs> let's stop right here for a second. We're, right now, I have a, one month left at my current ministry. I've been pastoring at the First Baptist Church of Hollerville for the past 11 years. Um, December 31st is my last day there, and we'll be moving into this new ministry full-time. So right now, our family is just building our support team, our prayer and financial support team, to stand with us in this vital ministry, and then you can learn more about our ministry by signing up with that slip of paper on the back table um, we also have a webpage johnsongapministry.org and, dot O-R-G, and then a Facebook page Johnson Gap Ministry. and so if you are strolling, scrolling on your phone right now during the message I will think you're just looking me up in front of me on Facebook so you can do that alright if you take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 6 did you get that Brother, go back one side. He needs to take a picture of this. Um, great. Mark chapter 6. All right, we can move forward. There we go. <clears throat> this is a special passage to me personally. For in this passage are some words that God has used in a great way in my life. I was running from God, modern day Jonah, if you will. And I just started attending what is now our sending church, the church that I'm pastoring, the First Baptist Church of Fowlerville. This is way back in 1997. A member of our church called me up and asked me if I would be willing to take his place on a short-term missions team that our church was taking to Mexico. I agreed, not having a clue how God was going to use that trip to totally change my life. One of the things that we did while in Mexico was visit different villages. Villages way off the beaten path. We would travel in on these big greyhound-like buses, and every time we entered, that vi- entered a village, the people would line the streets... Wondering, what in the world are these gringos doing here? You might experience that when you go to Guatemala this spring. In no time at all, we had an audience. The Spanish-speaking pastors would get up and preach in one area, and in another area, we would have a ministry going on for children. And by the end of the night, it was not uncommon for 20 to 30 people to trust Christ as their Lord and Savior. That was incredible. That was something that our whole team rejoiced in. But for me, I was overwhelmed with sadness. There seemed to be this great burden that was being pressed upon me, and I remember weeping as we left those villages. You see, the people of the village would line the streets again, and as I looked out the window at their faces, many of, their, many of these people, now my brothers and sisters in Christ, Amen. as I looked upon their faces, the words that kept going through my mind were the words found in verse 34 of this passage. When Jesus saw the people, he had compassion on them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. I couldn't help but see these people as sheep, sheep without a shepherd, sheep that had no one to guide them, no one to teach them, no one to care for them, to help them grow in their faith in Christ. I had no idea if or when anyone was going to come back to shepherd these people. And that was the burden that God had placed upon me back 20 years ago, and in a very real sense, that burden has not been lifted. Which is why Jennifer and I are believe that God is calling us into this ministry, and why we are standing before you today, and why we are sharing with as many people and as many churches as possible about this new ministry that God has given us. Well, let's read this passage together. Mark chapter six. Mark chapter six, starting in verse 30. And he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said, A blessing. And broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Father, bless the reading of your word, the preaching of your word. Teach us this morning more about your son Jesus. And give us his eyes. May our hearts be filled with compassion the lost around us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, many are the lessons in this account, but as with every portion of Scripture, the main lesson, the main point is Jesus. So I want to introduce or I want to focus on three things that we see about Jesus in this passage. Very simple, three things that we see about Jesus. First of all, Jesus sees the needs of the world. Very easy to see, isn't it? Jesus sees the needs of the world, verse 34. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Often, the Bible pictures our Lord as a shepherd and we as his sheep. Jesus truly is the caring and providing shepherd of Psalm 23. Jesus is the shepherd of Luke chapter 15 who goes out after the one lost sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd of John chapter 10 who lays down his life for the sheep. Hebrews chapter 13 says that Jesus is the good shepherd of the sheep who pours out his blood for the sheep. Amen. Revelation 7.17 tells us that Jesus is the shepherd who will guide his sheep to the springs of everlasting waters. So all throughout the Bible, Jesus is pictured as the great shepherd. We, on the other hand, are often pictured as sheep. Often foolish and rebellious sheep. Sheep who cannot take care of themselves and sheep who cannot save themselves. Sheep that when without a shepherd are in a desperate situation. That is us without Christ. We desperately need a deliverer A shepherd, one who is compassionate and one who is able to provide for us and protect us. We need a shepherd savior. And praise God, Jesus came to be just that. We need to see this morning that Jesus is the great shepherd who sees our needs. And not only that, he moves to meet those needs. Now just try to imagine the scene here in Mark chapter 6. Jesus and his disciples need rest. People have been coming from all over, wanting to see Jesus, wanting to touch Jesus, hoping to get close enough to get his attention and to receive help, to receive relief from their physical ailments. And now, not only do they want to see Jesus, but they want to see his disciples. So Jesus and his disciples get on a boat to get away from it all. And what does the crowd do? Verse 33 says that they ran ahead, people from all the towns that were located along the shoreline, all of them, all 5,000 plus of them, end up waiting for Jesus on the other side. What was supposed to be a desolate and quiet place is now a, a place filled with many people. And what was Jesus' reaction? Was he angry? Was he frustrated, depressed, disappointed? Did he say to the crowd, No, no, no! I've been faithful in ministering to you. I've been faithful in caring for your needs. This is my time. This is my time with my disciples. Can't you see we're trying to get away? That is not how Jesus reacts, is it? He had compassion on them. He saw their great need. And he knew that he needed to meet to address those needs. He first saw that people have physical or spiritual needs that need to be addressed. People have spiritual needs that should be addressed. The thing that Christ sees here that brings such concern, care, and pity is the spiritual state of the crowds around him. As he gazes on the multitudes that day, not only does he see those who are hurting, those who are sick, those who are in great need physically, but he also sees their greatest need, their need to be saved from their sins. That is his primary concern. That is the whole reason for his coming to earth so that he might give us spiritual life through his death and resurrection. You see, Jesus knows that people without him as their Savior are like sheep without a shepherd. They will soon run out of pasture and starve to death. They are hungry spiritually and nothing that they find in this world will ever quench that hunger. Jesus knows that people without him as their savior are like sheep who are ensnared in the thorns and thickets of sin and death. Jesus knows that sheep without him as their savior are are living lives harassed, confused, weary, and totally helpless. There's nothing that they can do to save themselves. That is what Jesus sees. He knows that all of us are like sheep who have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to our own way. The book of Proverbs tells us where that way leads to. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. And he knows that the great need for every single person in this world is to return to the shepherd and overseer of our souls, First Peter 2.25. So Jesus sees clearly the great need of the world and he has compassion. And it was this compassion that led him from the glories of heaven to be born on earth as a lowly servant. It was this compassion that would take him to the cruel cross to suffer the reproach, the humiliation, the agony, the shame of the cross, all so that he could save and rescue all the sheep who had gone astray. All so that he could rescue you and rescue me. People have spiritual needs that need to be addressed. Did you notice what Jesus did to meet those needs? It's a very simple and straightforward statement. At the end of verse 34, it says he began to teach them many things. When Jesus' heart was moved with compassion, when he set out to care for his sheep, he taught them. He taught them because he knew that's what they needed most. And that is exactly what we need the most this morning, isn't it? We need the word of God, the teaching of the word of God. God works through God's word. God speaking is God acting. Think about it. God created everything by the power of his word. And in the same way, he recreates us through the power of his word. First Peter chapter one, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. Oh, the power of the Word of God. So when Jesus saw the great need, the spiritual need of the people, he taught them. He taught them. But that's not all that Jesus sees. Jesus also recognizes that people have physical needs that need to be addressed. Yes, Jesus cares for our souls and our spiritual needs. For after all, didn't he say, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? However, he also cares for our body. And our physical needs. In Matthew chapter 25, he tells us to feed the hungry, give water to the thirsty, give rest to the stranger, clothe the naked, care for the sick, visit the prisoners. Jesus calls us to do more than lament the suffering and problems of our society. We must remember today that the church church has been called into the world to do something about those problems. James chapter 2 verse 15 says, if a brother or sisters poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of, the, one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? You see, we must minister to the spiritual needs that are at the root of suffering and social problems, but at the same time, we must be ready to extend help and material aid to those who are in need. And I know you guys get that just by listening to some of your announcements this morning, some of the things that you're doing in this community. People have physical needs that need to be addressed. And we see that very clearly in this passage. The hour is late. Verse 35 makes that clear. The disciples of Jesus bring this to Jesus' attention. And they boldly tell Jesus. They command Jesus, send the people away so that they can buy themselves something to eat. Verse 36. Now the tone of their request may seem a bit harsh, but we can certainly understand the logic of it. Dismiss the crowds now and allow them to get to the surrounding villages. Allow them to get home before it's too dark so that they can eat. Yes, the disciples' rationale is purely logical and practical, but I also have to wonder if there's some selfishness here. I wonder if they actually see the lateness of the hour as an opportunity to rid themselves of this nuisance of a crowd that has interrupted their rest time with Jesus. But Jesus would hear none of it, would he? He tells his disciples, verse 37, you give them something to eat. Think about that. The disciples say, send them off, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, I want you to feed them. Verse 44 tells us that the number of men present was 5,000. Add women and children to to that number. And you're talking about 15,000, 20,000, 25,000 people. And Jesus says, feed them. These people have physical needs that need to be addressed. And I want you 12 men to address them. So Jesus sees the needs of the world, both spiritual and physical. And may it be our prayer this morning to have the eyes of Jesus that we too would see just as He did, seeing the needs of the people around us and may we be moved to action knowing that God wants us to be involved in ministering to both spiritual and physical needs. We indeed minister to the whole person. That's exactly what Jesus did. Now let's move on quickly to the next thing we see here about Jesus in the passage. Number two, Jesus is sufficient to meet every need. At first glance, the command given in verse 37 to the disciples to feed the 5,000 seems unreasonable, even insane. But the disciples just had no idea how much they really did have to feed the crowds around them. I mean, come on, guys. The one who is standing in front of you is Jesus, the creator God of the universe who just speaks and stuff happens. Yep. It was like they were standing in front of Niagara Falls and saying they couldn't find anything to drink. The disciples, they looked at this situation as an insurmountable obstacle, but Jesus looked at it as an opportunity to demonstrate his sufficiency to meet every single need. So Jesus says, you don't need to send them away. You give them something to eat. Well, the disciples, they did a quick cost assessment. They calculate that it would take 200 denarii or eight months wages to feed the crowd. Well, they didn't have that kind of money laying around, so that's not going to work. And then Jesus asked them, well, what do you have? They quickly surveyed the crowd, and what did they come up with? Five loaves of bread and two fish. John chapter 6 tells us that this, these small loaves of bread, and these little fishes, were actually a lunch that a mother had packed up for her children, for her little boy. Now tell me, how's that going to work? And that is the point, isn't it? The disciples needed to realize that for them to obey Jesus and feed the people, they needed to rely. Jesus the impossibility of this situation needed to be firmly established Jesus was calling the disciples to do something that they could not do in their own power he was teaching them to recognize their insufficiency and to look to him who alone is sufficient to the one who has the ability to satisfy and to meet the deepest needs in us, And without question, this is the main point of this passage. By feeding the multitude that day, Jesus is demonstrating that he is sufficient to meet the deepest needs in our lives. And that is made clear in the parallel account in John chapter 6, where right on the heels of this miracle, Jesus states these words. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Notice Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He is, the per- he is not one who simply gives what satisfies. He is personally the one who is what satisfies. Jesus has not come to give us bread. He has come to be our bread, to be the sustaining satisfier of our souls. Jesus meets needs in us. He is the good shepherd, the bread of life, and today he is calling out to each one of us, to all of us whose souls are hungry to be satisfied. He is calling out to those who have sought to fill their stomachs with the things of this world, only to come up empty every time. He's calling out and urging each one to taste and see that he is good. And that he alone is uniquely able to satisfy the needs, to meet the needs of our souls. Spurgeon said it well. He said, come then weary, hungry sinner. You have nothing to do but to take Christ. Open your mouth and receive the food. Faith to receive what Christ provides is all that is needed. And that is what we see in this passage. Jesus is sufficient to meet Every need. But there's one more thing that we see in this passage, and I believe it relates very well to God's call to every church member, every church, every believer, to be involved in evangelism and missions. And it's this. Number three, Jesus meets needs through us. Jesus meets needs through us. Not only is Jesus able and sufficient to meet every need, but we also need to see that Jesus meets those needs oftentimes through us. Think about this. Jesus just could have called bread down from heaven, and had it land right in the people's laps. Jesus can do perfectly well without us if he chooses to. He did not need the little boy's lunch. He did not need his disciples to distribute the lunch. He could have done it all ex nihilo, out of nothing. But wonders, wonder of all wonders, he delights in including us in his work. So what does Jesus do here? Verse 41 says that Jesus prays, asks the Father's blessing, and he calls the disciples to his side. He breaks the bread, gives it to the disciples, and they distribute it. We're not exactly told how this miracle happened, but somehow the five loaves suddenly or slowly began to multiply from his hands into their hands. So get that picture. The hands of Christ served the hands of his disciples, and the hands of the disciples served the crowds. That's powerful. Yes, Jesus alone is sufficient to meet every need, yet he is also gracious to use us to meet needs in others. Disciples of Jesus are an extension of his mercy and miraculous power in the lives of men and women and children. God delights in using us to do his work. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, one more, one more click there, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us, through us. And we must remember that God can use a very small thing if it's committed to Him. God delights in using ordinary people with extraordinary gifts. Or ordinary people with ordinary gifts. In the New Testament, Paul tells us that God doesn't need the extraordinary when He says these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul also explained why God delights in using our ordinariness. And our weakness in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, for we have this treasure in jars of clay. That's what we are. this cracked up old jars of clay. God delights in using jars of clay. Why? To show that the surpassing power belongs to him and not to us. Let me just move quickly into a few points of application. My time is almost up. Very simple. Number one, remember that God loves the world and wants every person to have an opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you thankful that Jesus sees the needs of the world and that he moved and acted to meet that need to save us and to rescue us so that we might hear the gospel and that we might be saved? Well, God wants everyone in the world to be able to respond in the same way that we've been able to respond to the message of the gospel. Number two, we need to recognize and believe that God's resources are unlimited and that he wants to be the one who will provide through you to reach the world with his gospel. The apostle Paul believed this. He knew that God's resources were unlimited and so he encouraged and thanked the church in Philippi in their giving to the work of the Lord. He told them to remember that my God will supply your every need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God's resources are unlimited and we can count on him to provide. We can count on him to supply. Number three, very simply, be willing to be used. Be willing to be used. Think this morning of the little boy in this account in Mark chapter 6, John chapter 6, who gave his lunch to Jesus. Jesus. He was willing to be used. It's a small thing. But he knew that a small thing committed to Jesus can turn out to be a big thing. What did God do? He did a great work through the willingness of that boy. Think of the disciples. They stood ready to feed the crowds, and Jesus provided through them. In the same way, we need to be willing to be used. And at the same time, we need to be confident in God's power to supply. Listen to this testimony of the church in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe... Affliction, their abundance of joy, and their extreme poverty had overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Did you hear that? Paul says the churches in Macedonia begged us earnestly. They begged for the opportunity to be a part of this offering. In other words, they were willing to step out in faith and that God used them. They were willing to be used. And what a wonderful testimony. What a wonderful example for us. It's a reminder to us today that God wants each one of us to surrender and be willing to let God use us, to let Him take control of our lives, our careers, our finances, our resources including the the surrender of our retirement years, our children, our grandchildren, for the sake of his kingdom and for the sake of the gospel. And then last of all, as a missionary, I had to throw something in about missions directly. I want you to see missions as an opportunity to expand and multiply the ministry of Calvary Bible Church. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, God is able to make all grace abound to you. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all time, you may abound in every good work. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Do you believe that God is able to make all grace abound? That he is able to make you abound in every good work? That he is able to multiply your efforts, your resources, for the sake of the gospel around the world? I encourage you to take some time to think about how many lives have been touched around the world through the missions program here at this church through your outreach into the community, do you really believe that God is able to expand and multiply, just like he did that little boy's lunch in Mark chapter 6, He's able to expand and multiply the ministry at Calvary Bible Church? Let me close with this story. Oh, before I do that, and you guys are a part of this already. Um, your missions committee uh, learned about a needs that some of our pastors had in Cuba. The first request that they had when we asked, how can we help you? These pastors said, get us bicycles or a horse and cart. At first I thought, a motorcycle, because that's what I would want to drive around. But no, no, we can't afford a motorcycle, just get us a bike. And so I shared that with Pastor Jeremy and your missions team. And you guys have given us money to buy bikes and a horse and cart for the Cuban pastors that we're working with. God is already multiplying and expanding your ministry here at Calvary Bible Church in the pier. Thank you for being a part of that already. Let me close with this story. This is Pastor Ashuk Bachu. who's one of the pastors that I've gotten to know in the West Indies on the island of Trinidad and Tobago. Pastor Ashuk was 12 years old back in the 1960s when a group from a church in Grand Rapids, Michigan came and did a short-term VBS uh, trip in his Hindu village in Trinidad. That day, as they share the truth of Jesus Christ with the kids there, Ashok, trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, turned from the, the worship of Hindu gods and to worship the one true God. Ashok told me that there were four other boys there that day that got saved. And all five of them are in full-time Christian ministries serving throughout the Caribbean islands. He told me that when he gets to heaven, he wants to see Jesus. And then he's going to look up the Apostle Paul and then he's going to find that team from Grand Rapids, Michigan and thank them for coming and sharing the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ with him. You see, that's what can happen when we realize that God wants the world to hear of the gospel. That's what can happen when a church realizes that God's resources are unlimited and that he will provide through us to reach the world with the gospel. That's what happens when a church realizes that God just wants to use us and that when a church says, here am I, I'm willing to be used. And that's what happens when we we trust God to expand and multiply the ministry at Calvary Bible Church. So, as you see the spiritual and physical needs of the people around you, the physical and spiritual needs of your community, the needs of the world, do not think, well, what can I do about it? I have so little. Don't even begin to think that way. You are a disciple of Jesus. And he stands ready to meet the needs of our souls and to use our lives with all his resources at our disposal to meet the needs of others. Oh, let us be disciples of Jesus, who are the most generous, giving, caring, serving, sacrificing, proclaiming people on the planet as an extension of his mercy and miraculous power. May he multiply our resources for the good of others and the glory of his name. May our hearts be found in Jesus, our great treasure, the gospel, and the souls of men.